Luke chapter 23. I'd like to share with you this morning concerning unmerited forgiveness. Unmerited forgiveness. Luke 23, beginning with verse 32. Before we read it, let me just tell you what our Lord had already gone through. He'd already gone through the experience of being betrayed by Judas, having had the disciples flee from him. Peter had already denied him. Jesus was mocked by the soldiers. He was beaten. He had his beard plucked out of his face. He was sent to Pilate and then sent back to Herod and then sent back to Pilate. Then he was scourged with the cat of nine tails. He had the beam placed upon his shoulder. Was carried out to the, uh, had to walk out to the place of being crucified and was being mocked, now hanging on the cross, was being mocked. And beginning with verse 32 of chapter 23, the Gospel of Luke, it says, And there were also two other male factors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the male factors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. And the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he be Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save yourself. And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. And one of the male factors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be the Christ, if thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. It was about the sixth hour, or noon, when there was a darkness over all the earth until three o'clock in the afternoon, or the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. Another gospel says it rent from the top to the bottom, instead of the bottom to the top. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. And when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. In the Gospel of Matthew said, the centurion said, Truly this was the Son of God. I have tried this week, in fact I laid awake last night again, trying to imagine what it would have been like to have been there when, during man's darkest and worst hour, God's finest hour, at Golgotha. You see, all that our Lord Jesus suffered. Let me tell you something. We fail as believers not to go back. You say, we're kind of sorted. No, it's necessary for us to go back and get a new picture of what God thinks is sin and what our Lord had to suffer in order to pay for our sin on the cross. Man's darkest hour and God's best hour you see, the crucifixion, first of all, was very much detested by the Jews because they knew the scripture says, Cursed is everyone that hangeth upon a tree. They wanted nothing to do with that. The Roman citizens were protected. No Roman citizens would be hung on a tree unless they were to uh, commit sedition or uh, uh, try to go against their country. 
upset their own government, uh, unless they assassinated someone, they couldn't even be considered for this type of death. It was an invention of depraved minds because it was a form that was used to try to make people suffer as long as they could, as much as they could, before they had to die. And uh, let me tell you something. It usually, they, they determined it usually took, for most people, 36 hours to die by crucifixion. The reason being, where they put the nails through the hands and the feet, you didn't bleed very much, so you had all your blood left. But when they would drive those nails through your hands, and then the weight of your body would be hanging on them and begin to pull on it, after a while, even uh, tetanus would begin to set in, and that would cause convulsions. And when you're there on the cross and jerking, and every time you jerk it, jerk on those those open wounds all the more, and you couldn't get your breath. Before long, you felt a heaviness in your chest, and you couldn't get your breath. It was an agonizing, slow death. Jesus, before he ever got to the cross, had already been beaten. As far as he could, he was made to carry the cross beam on the cross. They didn't carry the whole cross, but we had a man several years ago who later off ran, with a, ran away with another woman who dragged the cross all over the country. He had the whole cross with a wheel on the back so he could drag it all over the country. It would be a witness and a testimony for Jesus Christ. But that wasn't what happened to Jesus at all. He carried the, just the cross beam of the cross. The main beam was still up on the, left up on Golgotha, and they would go up and attach to one to the other, and then they would hang them on the cross. But his hands were nailed, and then he was lifted up, and then the feet were pounded and nailed into the, the, the little uh, strutting piece of wood that stuck out a little bit that they put their weight on so they wouldn't tear it out of their hands, and they could push up to breathe, and then they were on the cross. Otherwise, they would suffocate very quickly. So they made it all the more gruesome by letting them lift up because man didn't was trying to stay alive. He would push up just to be able to get his breath. Slow, agonizing death. Of all the things you'd think would take place in a place like that, terror would be the last one that you'd think of. I mean, the Romans felt that the best thing you could do is get even, revenge, maybe spit on somebody, maybe say something nasty to try to hurt them, just, just to be strong to the very end. But you see, this death was no surprise to Jesus Christ. I read in the Scripture, For this very cause came I into the world. Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And it was no accident. Jesus knew this was coming. You see, this is the difference between a brave man and someone who gets into a situation he can't get out of. Jesus, foreseeing and knowing ahead of time what was coming, still did not turn from his path, but continued straight on to pay the full price for your sins and for mine. He said in another place, I lay down my life for the sheep. No man taketh it from me. Jesus shed his blood. He didn't, it wasn't spilt. He shed it for your sins and mine. And in the midst of this, the Savior's response to all these things that had already happened to him, his Father forgive them. Now, it's interesting, in the Greek, the context in the Greek, or the text in the Greek is in what we call the imperfect tense, which means he continuously was saying, Father, forgive them. He kept on saying, Father, forgive them. And I, I can imagine as he was going through all this agony, when the centurion was nailing his hands to the cross with soldiers holding his hands out and nailing, he was looking back and forth saying, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. When the soldiers were jeering at him, the crowd was yelling at him, the soldiers were casting lots for his robe, and he saw his friends flee. I, I can't help but what Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them. That wasn't typical of most of the criminals on the cross. The more they could say back and the more angry they could get, the more the people enjoyed it. Because revenge was a god, almost like a god to the Romans. They wanted to get revenge back. 
And the Hebrews, of course, their philosophy was an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, and they were kind of proud of their moderation. But Christ said nothing to the men or those that were mistreating him. The Bible says in the Old Testament in prophecy that as a lamb before his shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. The Lamb of God did not revile those that mistreated him, but instead he prayed to the Father. How much are we like that? When trials and tests and chastenings come to us, what's our first response? I've known some that have turned away from God and said, where was God when I need the Lord? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus wasn't getting after the Father. He was saying, Father, please don't forsake me during this last And then he realized, I really believe he realized that his Father couldn't look upon the sin. But there are many when things don't go the way we think they should and people mistreat us, we say, well, where was God when I needed him to make me get angry toward God? Dear heart, that is the wrong response because it was the cross that drove Christ all the closer in his communion with the Father. And these experiences that we go through, that's why James says, let tribulation have its perfect work in us. That we might come out like refined gold and silver. Jesus said, Father, and just affirmed his sonship. Some people, I've, I've actually had people say, hey, you're having fun? Go ahead and do it. Yeah, hey, here I am. Just pick on me. Just do whatever you want. And my heart just aches when I see people do that. Jesus cried out, Father. And he teaches us. We're to call our Heavenly Father, Father. And He said, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that despise you and hate you and say all manner of evil against you. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Forgive others as we, Father, forgive us as we forgive others our debts. The very thing that Jesus preached to us were the very things that we see that He experienced when He was on the cross. His disposition in the midst of the storm was quiet, Submitted, submissive, confidence and assurance, and no desperation at all. It wasn't like he could, you know, the Bible said he could have called ten thousand angels to destroy the earth, the world, and set him free. But he, he didn't. Someone said, "What nail held Jesus to the cross?" The nails, no love, and love kept Jesus on the cross. His love for you and me kept him on the cross, and he could have come down. Let me tell you something: there was not a one in that crowd that deserved his forgiveness. And by the way, there was none that requested his forgiveness in that crowd. And yet he interceded for the Father forgiveness. And by the way, let me tell you, there's not too many of us that deserve his forgiveness either. Nor even request his forgiveness as often as we ought to. And yet he says in 1 John 1 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, not because we deserve it, but because of the mercy and grace of God. As I thought of this, I thought, if Christ prayed for those who hated him so much and mistreated him so much, how much more must he pray for us? He is our high priest. He is our advocate. He is our intercessor in heaven. How much more do you think he must pray for those of us that love him and want to serve him? Some people think that God's out there just to get us, punish us, hurt us. That isn't what the scripture says at all. Remember uh, the illustration. Look back in Luke 13. Luke chapter 13 with me, if you will. There's an illustration here. I want you to see. Luke 13, verses 7 and 8. The 6, starting with verse 6. 
Luke 13, verse 6. He spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and came and, so, he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Then said he unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why cumber it the ground? And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well, and if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. That word spared another year. Uh, it's the same word that we find in Matthew 19 and where we just read in Luke 23, forgive, spare another year. In Matthew 19, 14, it says, suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not. It means don't interfere with them. When Christ was saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, I, I really think what he is praying is, Lord, don't interfere right now because they don't know what they're doing. Don't judge them immediately, Lord. I like what another translation, modern translation, uh, wrote it this way. Don't strike down these poor sinners who have been duped until they have found out what this is all about. They're ignorant of the true significance of this tragedy. They will learn the truth when the gospel message goes forth. Then they will be in a position to choose repentantly and wisely. Give them a chance, Father. Well, were they duped? Were these people on that day duped as they were crucifying our Lord Jesus? Look at 1 Corinthians, the second chapter with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. Paul the Apostle said, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. These men were driven by the powers of darkness to crucify Jesus Christ because they were duped. They didn't understand. They were ignorant of what they were doing. The next question is, because God did not judge them immediately, did they hear and did they turn? Look at Acts chapter 3 with me. Beginning with verse 17. And now, brethren, I realize, or what, that through ignorance ye did it, as did also your rulers. But those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets, that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Peter says you did that in ignorance. Now the inference here... When Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what to do, is don't bring immediate judgment on them. Postpone your judgment. My wife and I have been reading every night before we go to bed several chapters out of the, out of the prophets. And over and over and over again, God said to Israel and God said to Judah, I don't want to bring this judgment on you, but I'm going to judge you if you don't turn around, if you don't quit. It's coming. And then the false prophets come around and say, oh, all peace and good. They're not, the enemy's not going to come against us. The true prophets will say, God says he's going to whip you. He's going to punish you. He's going to destroy you. He's going to wipe you out. He's going to have the temple destroyed here in Jerusalem. No, never could happen. He said, listen, God says it's time. His time's coming. They wouldn't listen, wouldn't listen. Finally, God said, okay, the time is here. Now it's going to happen. And no matter what you say and no matter what you do, it's not going to change. I'm going to totally destroy you finally. Only those who have tried to walk after me, will I, will I remember, will I keep, will I protect? But the rest of you, no matter where you go, if you go up in the mountains, if you go out and wherever you go, I am personally going to send them after you and they're going to find you. You won't be able to hide from them. 
Don't yell and cry to me now. Don't come and say you're sorry now because the time is coming. Jesus said, well, don't let that happen right now. Give them some time. They're they're doing this ignorantly. Give them some time to understand what they've really done. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I really wonder sometimes how much longer the Lord's going to have to wait in some of our lives. And, you know, there's some Christians that God's been dealing with in certain areas of their lives for years and years and years and years. We keep saying, get this straightened out. Sometimes we've done it in ignorance, but then the Lord shows us, and then we continue to do it, and that's rebellion. The Lord says, my mercy is from everlasting to everlasting, but my spirit will not always strive with mine. When I see the mercy of Jesus here, he was saying, Lord, just be patient with him here. But then the word says to him that knoweth to do good and doeth not to him that is sin. And my question this morning, is there an area in our lives where God says, you know better now, this ought to be dealt with. God's mercy has been extended to you, but how much further? You know, the word ignorance means ignore. Comes from word, the basic word is ignore. Ignorant ones are those who ignore God and don't pay attention to what His will is and aren't interested in finding out what His will is. There's a difference between being stupid and being ignorant. Ignorance, by the way, is not innocence. It doesn't cancel and it doesn't excuse our sin. He didn't say, Father, they're not sinning. He said, they just don't know what they're doing. He said, give them time so they can find out what they're doing and turn from it. You see, the Roman soldiers were forced to obey what their commanders told them to do. And the Jews had been bound by men's tradition and whatever the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Quidensees and the Woodensees would say for them to do. That's what they went ahead and would have to do. Paul the Apostle himself said, you know, before I was a blasphemer and a persecutor and injuries, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. God forgave me. God raised him up. God used me. And I want to tell you, there are many people that in the past God has, I mean, have done things ignorantly and have done, and done things foolishly against God's will. And when they've repented, the Lord has turned them around and strengthened them and made them to be strong leaders for his own angel. I think of Peter. Denied the Lord three times. He said, Satan has desired to have thee, and I sift you as weak, but I pray to you that your faith fail not, the mercy of God. The Lord's praying for us. That our faith fail not, and when our recovered, strengthen thy brethren. Is there any area in your life this morning where the Spirit of God has been talking to you and you haven't repented yet? Can you honestly say you're still ignorant of it? Or are you in the area where God said he may have to chasten you as his child? His mercies, God says he's not willing that any perish. He wants us to follow and obey him. And see, that's the mission of the church, the true mission of the church today. The mission that God has given to us, Christ has given to us, is that we lead the ignorant to Christ. The ignorant. Who are the ignorant? Well, they're the people that... We go to church if you ask them, no, I'm talking about the harlots and the thieves and the drunkards and the depraved and those furthest off from the Lord. They're the ones that God wants us to reach out to. You see, we tend today to condemn them, to put them down. I don't want to do with that. You know, get away from me. I mean, you might defile my righteousness and my standing in the community. That is what Jesus said. They need to hear him say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. They need to hear, neither do I condemn them to go and sin no more. 
God's mercy to his life. He took our sin. He took our punishment for us. And we received his righteousness in return. Only because of his mercy. Have you been forgiven this morning? Has everyone here this morning, has everyone here this morning at one time or another committed their lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? The next question is, God's mercy has been extended to us, but are we continuing to live in ignorance? You see, the scripture says that that wherever darkness rules, there is going to be defeat. But when light comes in, darkness has to leave. And when the light shines in your heart, you must not resist and say, Lord, I give that way up to you and his mercy and everlasting, everlasting, and overflow of unmerited forgiveness. There's not a one of us here this morning that deserves to be forgiven. Not a one on that day there on Golgotha, not one of them deserves to be forgiven. And yet Jesus said to him, Father, hold on, hold on, Father, Father. Not yet, Lord. Just give me some time. Give me some time. Can I tell you something? Do you know why Jesus isn't here yet this morning? Do you know why he hasn't come back yet this morning? He hasn't come back yet before us. He's saying, give me some more time, Father. Give me some more time. Give me a little more time. Just a little more. Maybe, maybe that one. Just, just one. Give me some time. It's the mercy. See, men say, oh, Jesus Christ, he's going to come back again. Oh, he'll come back. But he's going to come back in his time. And his mercy is finally come to an end. Now, is there something in our life this morning that the Lord said, you know, I have been patient with you. I have been patient with you. You've been doing this, not out just out of ignorance, but now you're doing it out of disobedience. Believe me, my spirit will not always fight you. Sin and evil have to begin to say, I don't want to, please. I mean, you've heard a parent say, please don't do it again. I don't want to have to face you for that, but I will if you do it again. I don't do it again, I'll have to face you. And the Lord says, okay. And I tell you, no patience for the present seems to say present seems pleasant. But afterwards, it yields the present truth. The Lord wants to know that. But I'd much rather be able to respond out of obedience instead of out of punishment. Whenever it comes, know this minute, it comes out of the mercy of God. Father, just give them a little more. How much time has the Lord given you this? Is there any area where God has said, you know, enough of this? Oh, yes, but I just had this temper all this time, you know. I, I just had a difficulty in being obedient in my spiritual gift. I just had a, a hard time in uh, getting rid of my pride and witnessing to my friends. How much longer is the Lord going to be patient? He loves you in everlasting life. He doesn't even deserve to forgive you. But he says, if you'll confess, if you'll come to a place of obedience with me that that's sin and faith not going to be in your life anymore, and you'll be committed, I'll not only forgive you, but I'll change you from all in life. You have the Holy Spirit in charge of that area of your life. Remember I talked about closets, drawers, little nooks and crannies you like to keep locked up. Jesus said, I'm being patient with you, but I want that opened up. I want control of that area of your life. Father, I thank you for the faithfulness, your faithfulness in our lives. I thank you that there's not a one of us here this morning who can stand up and say, I deserve forgiveness. Father, we're as guilty as the soldiers that nailed the nails in their hands, the one that thrust the spear in the side. Every time they disobey, they just like the jeering crowd, like saying, "If you're the Son of God, we know you are, and if you're Lord, you said in the gospel, you call me Lord and obey me not, call me Master and obey me not.'" Call me the way and you don't walk me. 
come to light and you don't follow me? Father, I pray this morning that our hearts will respond to this mercy and love that you've manifested to us and all God. Whatever the need is in our life this morning, whatever the area of disobedience or disagreement is your purpose and calling in our life might be, this morning we'll recover. Blessed Holy Spirit, do a work in our hearts this morning. So you just take a moment right now and ask the Holy Spirit to do an inventory to see if there's an area, either out of ignorance or unwillingness to listen up for now. God has been trying to deal with you. And then when you just open your heart and say, Lord, I give that area to you through that reservation this morning. Total obedience to the word and will of God. Do you get that now? Young people, adults alike, the Spirit of God wants to talk to you, wants to work in your life. So you call it by its right name and you get honest with the Lord and say, Lord, that's sin, that's disobedience. And I've brought it to you before, but here we are again. Lord, I want to make a quality decision this morning. I don't want it in my life anymore. I choose to come against it. It will not rule over me. Anybody up there saying to Pastor, I've been honest with God this morning, and I presented it to the Lord, and I believe in God's going to be a very man. I see that man. Yes, that's the Lord. God's feeling it up in my life right now. And I've let this thing run me and rule me and change my attitude and change my thoughts and make me respond properly all down to the years. It's not going to continue by the grace of God. The Lord's been merciful to me, but I'm not going to stretch the mercies of God this morning. Anyone else to pray with me to say, God has spoken my heart. I want that. I, I believe in God that I've seen the same in my life today. Anyone else? If God is working and you both are willing to do his good place, God has to do what the change is. God has to do the change in your heart. Anyone else? Anyone? Father, you see every hand that was raised, and even more than that, you see what's in the heart. Whatever that area of defeat and discouragement might be, we just pray this morning that as they agree and determine, this thing will not rule over me. I submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I renounce this area of ignorance or disobedience, and I'm going to walk into the light. As you're in the light and have fellowship with you, I'm going to see victory in my life. And if I can't see it personally, I'm going to go to someone else and have them pray with me. I'm not going to continue to allow this thing to happen. Father, you said if you draw a knife, you will draw a knife. I'm asking you to draw very close now to these that raise your hand. These that have determined this morning the Spirit of God is trying to deal in their lives. You minister to them right now. Respond to them, Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. I just claim victory in their lives. I bind this strong man over them and every principality and power, every ruler of the darkness, every wicked spirit. I bind them away from them in Jesus' name because of the decision they've made today. Father, we break that thing off of them in Jesus' mighty name. We ask that you would restore that the Spirit of God will come and take charge of that area of your life right now. That you'll begin to see a difference. They'll be able to say, I'm not the same. God's done a new work in my heart and life, and I'm going to know the difference. Father, I'm claiming it for them right now in Jesus' mighty name. 
Lord, have mercy on them. Have mercy on them as they come to you today. Let them know that you are God who hears and answers prayer because you are. Father, we're so sorry that Jesus had to suffer on the cross for our sins. But we're so glad he is willing to pay the whole price. I am so glad, Father, he went all the way. He gave all that he had. I pray that none of us this morning will be any less. He gives you all that he has. We know as the Lord Jesus has said, as the Father sent me, so send I you. So Lord, we want to allow our lives to represent the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. Without the enemy having a victory in our lives. We believe in you for that. We believe in you for real victory in Jesus Christ in holy name. Tonight we're going to continue on with this series, Biblical Certainty. Now I want to encourage not only the adults, but the young people to be here tonight. We've got a lot of families out of town, but let's make it a time of blessing and encouragement. Unmerited forgiveness. Unmerited forgiveness.